The professional interests and personal priorities of our hosts result in regular child development coupled with educational and brain learning conversations. Join in as Dr. Larry Mercer and Michelle Charles bring their expertise before the microphone as part of an ongoing dialogue between this father and daughter duo on Let's Build Their Brain. Turn on your camera. Give me a thumbs up if you hear me. Miss, miss, miss. Hold on, I can't hear you when everyone's talking. Man, countless background conversations. I can't mute fast enough. I can't turn off the camera fast enough. Most of our listeners know the experience of being in a virtual meeting, celebration, church service, all kinds of events. Most of the little ones we know and care for now have virtual experiences too. Maybe educational focus, maybe simply connecting with family and friends. So I've personally been responsible for sitting in front of the camera to teach. I've also been behind and beside the camera supporting Little Man through virtual enrichment and academic learning. I've heard, watched, or been told stories about some of the phrases I started with. I know you've had your share of virtual meetings. I've heard you even mention fighting the Zoom fatigue. What might that look like for little people? Well, in order to answer that question, I've got to get a little bit technical with you and just talk about Zoom fatigue from an adult perspective. Okay. Zoom fatigue describes the tiredness, worry, or burnout associated with overusing virtual platforms of communication. Uh, that raises a really natural question, what causes Zoom fatigue? Let me give you a few things. First of all, constant staring at the screen causes Zoom fatigue. It stems from how we uh, process information. How often do you stand within three feet of a person and stare in their face? Very, very seldom. That's part of the problem. Uh, constant listening causes Zoom fatigue. Uh, we just have to work harder to absorb the information or listening to a Zoom call. And then what happens is activation of our fight and flight hormones. When we are on a Zoom call, it's like standing in front of somebody, all of a sudden our, our fight and flight uh, hormones start getting activated. So that's really what it looks like for a young person. They, they get overwhelmed uh, with that Zoom fatigue and they start responding emotionally to that. Wow. So how do we fight that fatigue for little people and adults alike? Well, we have to teach them how to use the technology properly. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is what research says is when we, when we look into a, a Zoom call, we have a tendency to stare at our own face. Mm. But what happens is we end up judging our face. We end up looking at our face in great detail. Mm -hmm. So teach children not to stare at their own face when they look, look at their friends. Secondly, one of the things that we often need to do is give them permission sometimes just to, I don't know if the teacher allows this, but to cut off the camera from mm. time to time. Uh, give them permission to turn off the camera. And then one of the things is something called practice in the 20, 20, 20 rule. What's that you say? Every 20 minutes, look on away from your camera, focus on an object 20 feet away for 20 seconds. That gives a good mental, emotional break from the constant looking at the camera. Wow, I wish I'd had that and known that when I was responsible for teaching on the other side of the camera. I know for our little guy, our purposes in fighting Zoom fatigue means 
often after one of those calls, it's time to take a walk or it's time to do something that's going to be active for him. We want to help our little ones enjoy and benefit from the wonders of technology instead of the horrors. So we're going to talk through some ideas on how to set your child up for success when it comes to physical and emotional components of this virtual experience. Well, let's start with some of those physical components for success. What brain-friendly ideas come to your mind? Well, what I would say to you is one of the things that we, we do is make sure, uh, what I said earlier, is make sure that we every now and then interrupt the cycle of the constant looking at the Zoom fatigue. Also, one thing we can do is make sure the environment is set up properly, mm. making sure it's uncluttered, making sure that the student has everything they need, have, have, making sure they have the right size uh, screen. Sometimes the screen's too okay. small, that will create problems for the, for the child as well. So the right environment, uh, uncluttered environment, uh, right size screen. One of the things you can do, you may not want to do, do this, but there's actually, uh, what happens is there's something called a blue, certain kind of lens that you can buy to reduce oh, the pressure right. on, on, a, on a child as well. I was thinking of environment as well, but even if I back up some, I know one thing, huge benefit from both sides of the camera experiencing, have your student take care of restroom break or getting water even before they sit down. That way, when they sit down, they're physically in a better frame of mind. Same thing with the environment. I mean, and I'm thinking about the what's in front of them as well as what's behind them for other people who might be looking at them. Don't have anything in your own child's background. I think about having the supplies at hand, pencil, paper, crayons, pretty much any call for a little person, you can count on that. Now, there's only so much you can do. I'm thinking of a, a, a Spanish call that we were on where the, the teacher was doing a great job of engaging the students and she wanted them to get an actual item of clothing accessories. So I was thinking about, okay, little guy getting up to go find a scarf or some item like that's gonna take too long. Oh, and that goes to, I probably should have started with staying with your child, especially when I'm thinking about this young age we're targeting, staying right there with them is a huge benefit. You know, we, as you know, we have a school that has this going on and what's very common to, you can tell that that child is totally on their own. Mm. And one of the things that we know about research is a child can only sit for about 12 minutes, even with an adult there. So you imagine what's happening in the classroom. They're much longer than that. A child by themselves, Children are fidgeting, they're doing other things. They're cutting off the screen, not because of Zoom fatigue, because they've got other interests going on. <laughs> I know I've seen that all too well. For me personally, with our little guy, it means sitting beside him or sitting behind the camera. I know when I was in front of the camera from a teaching perspective, I noticed one parent who had a really interesting, but I think beneficial setup. The parent was back to back with the student. The parent was doing their work, and the parent, when needed, would easily turn around and troubleshoot technology or refocus students as needed. So that was a cool setup to see as well. Well, wow, that was pretty interesting. I've never heard of that. That means that parent really has a solid plan for how to do their work and at the same time support their child. And I know in this world that can be challenging if a parent is responsible for taking care of work to be present with their child. But that one came up with a creative way to make sure that, that the support was there when needed. Wow. Well, and like I said, I've been in front of the camera, behind the camera, and you talked about this a second ago, engagement. When you're in a virtual environment, keeping a student engaged can be a significant challenge. What could we tell our listeners about keeping the young brains engaged in a virtual setting? 
I think the same thing that applies in the physical setting, and that is engaging the child by having the child move, mm. giving them a chance to move around. Because if you keep them sitting, pretty soon they're going to get distracted. And they're going to lose their interest in movement. And then another thing that helps with both engagement and mood and, and emotions is adding music to the background, giving a child to get involved with music. Move, movement and music are two of the magic pills, if I can use that terminology, to enhance the child's educational learning. Well, and I know, again, sitting beside our guy, the engagement piece can get kind of challenging, especially when, and same thing happens in the classroom, the teacher's limited on who can be called on. I know I find myself giving lots of thumbs up or maybe even muting the microphone and saying, she didn't call on you, but you tell me your answer. Again, being present, if the student wasn't called on in your home, could you mute and ask them to share if you were called on, what would you give your answer? I think those are ways that I've found it very beneficial to engage my little guy to make sure he isn't tuned out, even though he hasn't been called on to provide the answer. Well, when I think about that, I also think about seeing and hearing disappointment with the phrase, she hasn't called on me yet. How do we keep that eager learner from being discouraged from your perspective? I gave some of my ideas, but what would you say to keep that eager learner from getting too down and discouraged? It's really interesting because it presents an opportunity, I believe, to help the child deal with disappointment. Mm. I think it's, it's okay uh, to allow them to be disappointed in some respects because it's, it's important for kids to learn how to deal with uncomfortable emotions. Uh, like disappointment and sadness in, in healthy ways. Uh, and that means part of the process is teaching children to have coping uh, strategies when they feel disappointed. Uh, you can't quite do this if it's a distraction to the class, but that's where having a child describe their emotion, label it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they able to describe their emotion, that's an important thing. And then uh, it, helping them do things that, uh, that are, are healthy, like uh, calling pictures or writing in a journal, just to give them opportunities to express their emotion. And also, uh, another thing is teaching children that fairness is not always the same. Mm. Uh, so that a teacher may, uh, fairness does not mean equal. It may mean that that teacher realizes or recognizes that the other child was making progress. Um, I'd like to hear your, your comment on this because I know we may have different perspectives. I don't know. Uh, I can see by the look of your face. That, <laughs> but fairness... Uh, doesn't mean equal. I can agree. And helping helping the child understand that. Now, if that gets to an excess, then there may need be some intervention on the part of the parent. But I think on the part of the child, it's a great opportunity because if they go through this process, they learn coping skills, they learn to survive this feeling, it can make them really, really strong later in life. Talk, talk to me about what, you, what you're thinking when you hear me say that. Well, I'll go back to first. I, I love the idea of it being in providing coping skills because virtually or in the classroom, not being called on. Someone taking the answer I wanted to say are all very real things that students need to know how to respond to. So that is definitely the case. But when you mentioned the, the fairness and excess, I was thinking about, you know, also as a parent, you're there in the classroom. You can't do this, but this could be a chance to help your child learn and maybe sometimes you have to be more involved in this but maybe your child advocate for themselves what would that look like i mean well in the virtual setting i'm thinking i mean could there be something happening i know that and we're using zoom generically zoom specifically but google meets teams all kinds of different platforms but sometimes you might have a series of 
of screens or you have to arrow through where you can't see everybody. Now, in a respectful and appropriate way, could that mean using the chat? Could that mean using some kind of clicking an icon feature to raise your hand? Maybe even as a parent, if something is going on, but could that mean coming off mute for a second and making sure you speak up if maybe a screen is not visible or volume's not clear? So I think a, a strategic opportunity to help your child learn to advocate for themselves in a respectful manner but also thinking, wait, you know, let me, let me maybe put into the chat, I would like to answer or clicking a raise your hand icon or even coming off mute saying, I wanted to make sure you see my screen if something bizarre is happening, if that makes sense. You know, it's interesting because when you first asked that question, I thought about the reaction buttons, raising yes. hands. And really, if you teach your child how to use those tools, it also gives them an exceptional skill in using the technology available to them. Here, here, here's a situation. How do you handle it? That's creative problem solving. So I think that that's great. And then if the child does all that and the teacher still doesn't respond, I don't know. It may be an opportunity for the for the parent to raise questions if, if, if they feel like that's necessary. And I would be remiss, I think, to say, and please give the grace and benefit of the doubt in that from the teacher perspective. It, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything malicious is happening. Again, it could be there's a series of images to scroll through and they don't always scroll far enough, but definitely in a in a grace-filled way that you can address that in an appropriate manner with but the I do think, But I do think your point of how that can negatively impact the child. If they're working hard, they're doing everything the teacher wants, and for some reason the teacher is not acknowledging that, that could be negative. That could be a, a sense of rejection with the child. So I think there's a, a delicate balance that parents have to strike and respond to that. And it makes me come back to, and I feel like I could, I could harp on this for a while of, if you're present, throughout this experience, you'll notice and you'll you'll be able to figure out when you need to speak up and say something or encourage or to equip your child with those coping skills. If you're off in another room or if you're on a phone call completely disengaged, you won't pick up on those things where you can provide support for the one you love. Well, now let's move on and talk about how we might support those students in the classroom during this unique season we're in. Sometimes this season has meant virtual learning or long distance, remote kind of situations, but we could also think about the physical support for little ones who are in more of a traditional classroom setting. Any thoughts on that that you would like to share? I have two different trains of thought, actually. One is uh, just making sure they're, they're, they're taught to respect and respond to the uh, social distancing guidelines, mm -hmm. that they uh, respect and respond to the things like sanitization guidelines, washing their hands, uh, they respect and respond to other people's space, not violating their space. Teaching them to be very conscious of caring for themselves and caring for others is a great opportunity for those children uh, in terms of, of that. But on the other hand, I thought about the fact that in light of all the stress that children are going through, it's more important than ever to establish a routine mm. for the child. Make sure they have a consistent routine, uh, making sure they get a chance when they get back home to exercise regularly. Uh, making sure their health is taken care of, making sure you make sure in the midst of this busy season, I know you do a good job of to make sure of the regular annual physicals and things like that. Just taking care of them physically. Sleep, we've talked about that before, diet, uh, rest, regular routine. Those are things that will set them up for success in the classroom. Then when they go there practicing social distancing and also making sure they um, practice good, good hygiene practices as well. 
Yes, I completely agree with that. A couple of thoughts came to my mind. Really practical here. You can never have too many mask stashes. Now, my husband might disagree with me on that, but you find masks all over the place, in their backpack, in the car, in my bag, so that your student is, it's not a matter of if there's a need for a mask of, ooh, we forgot it at home, but I never, doesn't matter, I've got another one. I know there's a situation where my own little guy ended up sneezing into his mask one day and, yeah. and it needed to be replaced. And I was glad he was telling me at the end of the day, he remembered where I placed an extra in his backpack. So he was able to trade it out for another one, which worked out very well. I would venture to guess lots of teachers might be able to help with that as well if they're in the traditional setting. But again, problem solving skills, you could teach your own child. One other key one came to mind, all Always in that school setting, it's important to talk about not sharing food or utensils when they are eating. But in this unique season, that came to mind as well as a, a helpful conversation for those children who are in the traditional education setting. I'm sure the school would, would appreciate that because that's one less child they have to worry about from the standpoint of finding a mask and finding other things with children. Very thoughtful. Uh, well, let's talk about what emotional support. And you talked about that a little bit already. Those who are in the classroom in these unique times, anything else that comes to mind of how to support your own child from an emotional standpoint? You talked about when they get home, but anything else you wanted to share? Well, I, I guess I want to go back a little bit and emphasize the importance of letting them express their feelings, yeah. uh, giving, giving them opportunity to talk about what they're feeling, talk about their sense of sadness, and validating those, sad, those feelings. That not, you don't want them to stay in the feelings, but it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel a sense right. of loss and meet them at that point of need and respond to them. And then helping them um, develop techniques like mindfulness even, hmm. uh, knowing how to relax, knowing how to be able to deal with those feelings. It's really a point of challenge, but also Kids are very resilient if we give them the, the skills and tools they need. That's why parents have to, I would say, make sure they take care of their emotions. Because yes. kids tune into our emotions and they take cues from us. So a parent needs to take care of themselves so they can take care of, the, of their child. Well, and I know on a different note, but when I think about emotions, I know I've had conversations with my guy about making sure to wave at people a little bit more because they aren't seeing that wonderful smile on your face as easily these days. So even something as simple as you may not see a smile from someone, but it doesn't mean they're unhappy with you. Remember, the mask might be blocking some things that we would normally see. Well, let's share some practical and applicable ways. I feel like we've been dropping those in throughout, but I like to end with that, specifically thinking about some food. Now, this may be just as much for the parents as students, but I was thinking about what's a brain-friendly food that someone could sneak in on a Zoom call if their energy was fading. I've got a strange one for you. Okay, I'm, I'm ready well, to hear it. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned the parent because this would certainly be good for the parent. And I think maybe if the appetite was cultivated because of the kid. And that is pumpkin seeds. Huh. Pumpkin seeds okay. are powerful antioxidants. They protect the body and brain from free radical damage. They're an excellent source of magnesium, iron, zinc, and copper. You can just grab a few pumpkin seeds, put it in their mouth as a break, as a break. Uh, maybe before, at the end of the Zoom call, they use a convenient way to give them a quick brain-friendly snack. I like that. Don't have to worry about juices from fruits and all that kind of stuff. I would have never thought of that. Okay, so a phrase. What are some of the best approaches to teach students to use? And we talked about this a bit to get help during a virtual setting. 
And I think what jumps out to me is you talked about using those reaction buttons. And that, that would be a great one because sometimes you, you, the instructor may not see the raised hands. Anything else you would like to add to that? I think a courtesy statement like, um, uh, teacher, when you get a moment, I have a question. Okay. That acknowledges that may not be the right, right time, but it also says, I have a question. Okay. So that that's courtesy and also the request at the same time be a good technique that a, a child could use that shows respect and a need at the same time. That'd be one that comes to the top of my mind. Okay. Or simply, could you help me understand? And I think this doesn't just apply to virtual. This is in person as well. Those are good things and skills that we need to help our young people understand from an early age. And you spent a lot of time in the classroom. What 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 kind of questions were most helpful with you? What, what style or approach to questions? I think that when the student can communicate where they are stuck, and that's often hard for, I don't get it, I can't do it, is a very hard one to address. It's like, I got this far, or I see this, or I'm stuck on this word. Those types of things where in helping your child learn how to communicate specifically, not just the, I don't get it, I need help. Can you tell me where you are in the process, where you got stuck? Hmm. Interesting. All right, so last thing, a fun activity. I was thinking of this and I know we've done this, but could you come up with some special motions or symbols to show positive greetings and expressions, even with a mask on? Maybe you might use your hand in front of your mouth to draw a pretend smile. It could even mean using your hands to make a heart. So even though sometimes we can't see the expressions and smiles that could lighten the mood in a moment for someone, what fun ways can you and your young one come up with still show those? Any closing thoughts for you? Well, I really, well, either to say to be about smiles, you know, I'm a nerd. I like to say <laughs> little small facts. You know, scientists have pinpointed more than 50 different types of smiles. Wow. 50 different types of smiles. But one that's very interesting is something called, I think we're pronouncing this correctly, a Duchenne smile. That's a smile that, a smile with your eyes. Yeah. Because okay. what happens is a smile, it's not, it, it, it's a smile that's really when you're excited, when you enjoy seeing someone, that smile happens and you actually can learn that Duchenne smile. And so what I would say is practicing, expressing the kind <laughs> of acceptance and affirmation that it's a full-throated smile. I, I, I thought about this. I, there are people I've seen them smile. I can tell they're, they're smiling with their eyes. Yeah. So we could convey that kind of love by giving that Duchenne smile. I challenge you to look it up. Do okay. some research on the Duchenne smile for those who are listening and, and, and learn how to do that. It could be a powerful way to encourage your children and other people as well. Wow. Well, thank you. Another facet of our series is we think about kind of working through unique circumstances or seasons of crisis. Join us next time for more information and brain building blocks. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay connected with Let's Build Their Brain via Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Let's Build Their Brain Pod and on Twitter at Build Their Brain. Thank you for checking back with us each Monday for a new episode. We hope you leave each podcast with practical and applicable suggestions to aid your endeavor of building the brains of the ones you love. Until next time, let's build their brain. Thank you.